0: You know, one of the joys of not uh, leading worship and speaking on the same Sunday is that it means that I typically can drink coffee during the service, or at least somewhat. Because if you drink coffee and you try to sing and then even speak sometimes, it it messes with you a little bit, and uh, or at least with your voice. So I may still have some problems, but today I just I deemed this was a morning worthy of coffee. Put in there. I think it was Diana. This it wasn't. It was Judy. Then no. Nope. Oh, missed. you know, it's probably her. I'll just have to say thanks to her later. All that to say, if you would like to go top up your cup, because there's a full pot, this would be a really good time to do that, because this is the boring part of the message, okay? And there we go. We have one. We have two. We have three. Oh, he, he just tricked me. Oh, look at that. Hey, so how many appreciated how well Nathan plays piano? I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> he came to the front, I had to point him out. So, Well, if you've uh, been following us at all uh, this last uh, season, and by season I mean like all of summer and most of spring since Easter... Uh, we've been talking about the words that are written on our wall over here. New life begins with Christ, being alive in him. And so uh, if you haven't been here because you're visiting, like everyone over here mostly, uh, it's nothing you haven't heard before, but it's just been in my heart personally, it's just been a really good reminder saying, hey, you know what, if I'm alive in Christ... Even on my worst days, my God is still good. Even when I'm going through sadness and trials and and hardship, I can still have joy. In fact, I'm commanded to love God. Therefore, uh, I can have joy because he is good. You know, I don't have to be happy because I can be sad. I can be angry. I can be all these things. I can still have joy. Uh, Even in my weakness, I know that I can still be alive in Christ because it's his strength through me or his strength that gets me through. And so we've been going through this entire list. It's not nearly exhaustive. And and I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking a shift is going to come this fall, and we're going to head a bit of a different direction, talking maybe about the parables of Jesus Christ. But uh, at least this week and possibly even next, and if it doesn't happen next week, if uh, we're going to do... Uh, one, alive through insecurity or alive in confidence. Because people in our society, and our culture today, and part of the reason why is because people are talking about it more, but there's a lot of anxious people, even in our own community. There's a lot of people that feel very insecure in our community. And so I think we may even just end up doing a full series on it. There's lots of examples even in the Bible of people that struggled with their identity. And so we, we're we going to head there at some point. I, I haven't had it down on the calendar just yet. But um, we're not going there this morning. I'm just giving you the heads up. People are getting their coffee, whatever else. But it's just something that the Lord has put on my heart as I've just talked with people, observed different things in our community. And I think it would be very timely in the future to do, whether it's even a seminar separate from Sunday morning, good biblical preaching about being alive in Christ and being alive in confidence in Him. Because even as, as your pastor, I'll be able to share personal stories of how God actually equips me each and every day, not just every moment, every morning, every Sunday and beyond, but every day how, how I have to get over myself and serve the King of Kings, and work hard for him. Because it's all for him, and that's where we're really going this morning, is talking about work. I know you don't want to talk about work, because you do that Monday to Friday, sometimes Saturdays, and sometimes Sundays, depending on what kind of job you have. But actually, work is a good thing, in case you didn't know that already. Not just because it pays the bills, but we were actually built to work. And so I, I, I remember in junior high class, so grade uh, 6, 7, and 8, uh, I was teaching the students in that age group all about work and work ethic. And one of my leaders pipes up, and he says, hey, Pastor Gary, I hate work. And I'm like, you're a leader. You're not supposed to say this to the kids. And uh, I said, you know what? I said, did you know that even before the fall of Adam and Eve, Adam would actually work in the garden? And he's like, oh, no. I thought I'd get to heaven and get to sit on a chair by the pool, you know? He had this picture in his mind that he would never have to work again. Now, in his defense, he had a really lame job and it was really boring and things at work weren't going very well for him. And we had chatted and this and that. But you know, you want to talk about the worst possible time to pipe up with your opinions? That was it, okay? So if you're in a leadership position, especially teaching kids or youth or anything like that, keep your opinions to yourself, okay, and just follow the leader, all right? That's your free information for today. But it was a great, a great moment throughout. And in case you don't know where we're going today, we're going to head to Colossians. And uh, it's a book in the New Testament. We've kind of been hanging around this section of the New Testament a little bit, which is why we're going to see a shift happen. Because I think, not that we've exhausted it, there's always more to learn. But I think it's time for something a little bit fresh and new this coming fall. Change of seasons, it's a good time. But head over to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're just going to go through our sort of what has been the theme chapter, verse... Uh, segment of our series, and it goes like this. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, this is like, every time I read this, something just comes alive inside of me. Because the moment I begin to think, I can I tell you this story. When I was young and we started going to church, I remember in Sunday school in kids' church listening to stories about heaven and the end times and Jesus would come back and I wouldn't die and I would live forever. And you can just imagine this, you know, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old Gary in Sulukin, Ontario, thinking about eternity, all right? Now, eternity for a six, seven, eight, Nine-year-old boy can be the bus ride to school or a car ride, you know, down the road. It can be an eternity to a young child. And I'm trying to wrap my head around forever. And I can remember being filled with, with fear, filled with excitement, feared with filled with all kinds of different feelings. I never felt I felt it right in the pit of my stomach. It would just be like a bunch of butterflies stirring up. What is forever? I don't understand this, this forever. Concept. I mean, at, at that age, you don't really understand death all that very, very well anyway. And I can remember walking around we lived in this, this townhouse, and there was a playground sort of in the back, and I remember coming around the corner and just being st- st- almost struck dead in my tracks coming around the corner, and I just all of a sudden had this thought about forever just randomly popped into my mind, and I remember sitting there, standing there like this going, ooh, ooh, for whatever reason, just being so overwhelmed with the idea that I got to be in heaven forever with Jesus, and I get to be alive in him. And so when I read this verse about setting my mind on things above, setting my mind on things of God, I started to get that same feeling, that same excitement, that same un- sort of my life through the eyes of God. If I began to live my life the way that Jesus lived his life when he walked on this earth, if I begin to set my mind when, when things come up, when situations happen, when, when things are just going crazy around me, when I'm in the hospital bed, whatever the case may be, and I begin to think of my situation through God's eyes, what does that mean for me? How does that change my situation? And more often than not, it ends up in a period of joy. Now, I don't know everyone's story, and I know there's people in this room that have been through some difficult situations throughout your life or walking through difficult situations, and it just seems like you can't catch a break. And when you stop and look at things through God's eyes, you can just, uh, it's like a full change in how you view the world. Because you're looking at the world through a, a human, broken lens. But as soon as you put on God's glasses, so to speak, you guys look so much better. I'm just kidding. That was really mean. (laughs) As soon as you put your eyes through God's lenses, things are different. You know, the things that you thought are mountains are really just molehills or not existent at all. The things that look like an impossible storm, you look at, it's just a little drizzle. You know, compared to God, nothing is impossible, and we start to view the world through his eyes, we see that no matter what we face in front of us, nothing is impossible, Now, I love Paul's letters. He he often starts off with this really friendly greeting, like, grace and peace to you, blah, 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 blah. He goes through all of these wonderful things. And then you read the history of the book, and he goes, oh, by the way, I'm so happy, but I'm writing this letter to you from prison, because I'm about to go to court, and I'm about to lose my case, and I'm about to die. Uh, Here's a man who didn't care or look at the world through his human eyes, but he put on the lens of God and he's sharing the joy that he has of the Lord, the encouragement, the instructions from the Lord to the churches all around Asia Minor. And so here we have this exact same thing happening in Colossians. Now Colossians is a neat story. We're going to move on from here rather quickly this morning because this is not where we want to stay because the title today is As Unto the Lord. So we are going to talk a little bit about work, but let's just set the scene up here a little bit. So the whole theme of the book is is talking about how Christ is Lord over all creation. So if that's not enough to convince you already that your situation isn't as big of a deal as you might think of it is, when you look at the world through the fact that Jesus is Lord over all creation, no matter what happens to you, you know that God is in control. So Paul is sending this letter saying, hey, you know what? God has got you. He is in control. He is Lord over all of creation. I don't care that you're a nobody. My God is in control. It's his creation. He is the ultimate master. And he's reminding them that not only is he Lord and in control, he's saying, hey, I've actually saved you. You know, you don't have to live in fear or worry. I've redeemed you, his people, enabling them to participate in their death and in the resurrection and in the fullness of God. So to look at the world through God's lens, what do we have to do? We have to take off our own human eyes, die to the flesh, put on the eyes and glasses of God and begin to live a life of, Of fullness, live a resurrected life in Christ. And this is Paul's letter. He's saying, Look, if God is Lord and Master of all of the creation, then look at the world through his eyes. What does God see when he sees you? He sees his son. Where is his son? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, as we just read. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. Who is Jesus to God? His son. Any fathers in the room this morning? How many have sons? I do now. I get to put my hand up. Yes. I love my girls, but things change. It's so, much, it's so cool. I'm not saying that he's better. I'm just saying it's so cool to have both. I wasn't even going to say something funny. This is what happens when you pick on DeGraff. No, what? You know what. OK. I'm just going to look over here this morning. Fathers, would you do anything for your kids? I would. <laughs> Maybe not de <degraft> this morning. <laughs> to say that you love your kids would be an understatement, though, correct? Absolutely would be. And so he looks at his son, who we know when he is baptized. He puts him into the water. He comes out in a voice from heaven, the voice of God, the Father, What does he do? He shouts out from heaven and says, this is my son, who I am well pleased. And so when you have invited Jesus into your heart, when you have died to yourself and allowed Christ to live within you, when God looks at you, what does God see? He sees his son. And then what does that mean? What does God say about you? This is my son, my daughter, who I'm well pleased Yeah, that doesn't mean we have it all together. That doesn't mean we always do things right because we're human and we need Jesus every single day. But I believe that the more we pursue after God, the more that we set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. When we begin to look at the world through God's eyes, through his lens, everything changes. Everything changes. And so when we walk through the trials, because we know that they'll still come. We know when the storms happen and they will, they will happen. We know that no matter what, Jesus is always within us. He's always gone before us and he's standing behind us and he's standing beside us. We know that we're never alone. And when things are good, when things are going well, when, when we're, we're celebrating just the, the prosperity of life, it's easy to get caught up in saying, hey, look what I did. But when we have an attitude of generosity, which we talked about that, things change. And you put the eyes on God saying, thank you, God. You turn your, your provision into praise. He turned it into glory to God because it's his work and it's his will that has taken place. Now, what's cool about the church that is, I I just, this really has not a ton to do with the message, but it does a little bit. Start during Paul's uh, three-year ministry in Ephesus. So he's doing a great work and you can read through Ephesians. It's all sort of talking about the new humanity that we have in Christ. One of my favorite, probably the favorite book in the Bible that I have and we hear the great work that Paul is doing. And someone from Colossae hears what's going on in Ephesus. And he decides to go and travel and, and take part in the meetings that are happening there. He says, what, what's going on? There's, there's a change that is taking place, and I want to know what it is. And so this, this individual goes to Ephesus, and he begins to hear about this Jesus. He begins to become a follower of Jesus and understands what that means. And he takes it back to the community of Colossae and he begins to start a church because of the life-changing experience that he's had in Ephesus under Paul's ministry. This is how he responded to Paul's proclamation of the gospel. You can see this in Acts 19.10. This new believer returns to his hometown, begins sharing the same good news what Jesus did for him, and it becomes contagious because the world around them has become completely upside down. Everything has changed. The lens of his eyes have changed. He's put on the eyes of God, and he looks at the people around him differently. He sees the brokenness. He sees the hurt. He sees the pain, but he also has the secret. He has the Jesus of the Bible, of the New Testament, living within his heart. He has the promised Messiah that you read about in Isaiah, the hope that will come. He has it inside of him. And so as he sees the brokenness now through a different lens, he sees the hopelessness of it, and he begins to tell people about the goodness of God. He begins to share the good news of Jesus Christ that he says, hey, you know what? I know that life isn't going very good for you right now. I see your brokenness, and I want you to know something. God sees your brokenness too. And God not only sees it, but he actually wants to make a change in your life. He actually wants you to know that he is with you through your brokenness. I shared this song, I think, a few weeks ago, or I sort of read it to you, Uh, One of the lines goes, you are God in my brokenness, sovereign over every step. Even in the fire, I'm alive, I'm alive in you. Powerful, powerful words. So, if all of this is true, and what does this have to do with Labor Day and all these kinds of things? If Jesus is really alive in me and he wants to use me to, to share the love of God throughout the world, what does this mean for me? Well, let's jump down a few chapters to Verse 22, I mean, said chapters, I meant verses. So Colossians 3.22 says this. If I can find the scribbling that I wrote down in my Bible. Here we go. Found it. So he's giving instructions for the Christian household. He's talking about wives and husbands and, and children and, and fathers. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, whoa, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. That's a really good word, reverence for the Lord. Some people say fear, fear of the Lord, working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. So, I don't know if you noticed even this morning. Uh, you, if you've ever had young kids, you know what it's like. And so, even this morning, you, you notice once, once the kids got bored with the singing and we'd redirect and talk, and you'll notice that Catherine had the Little Mermaid book this morning, and Mackenzie wanted it. And she said, She already read it, it's mine, it's not fair you know, and you do your best as a parent to, to, you know, not show favoritism. I don't have a favorite kid. I like them all. But, you know, there's always this tension that goes, they always feel like they're wrong, like they get owed something. And all the parents in the room are laughing right now because you know exactly what I'm saying. But when the kingdom of God, there are no favorites. It's an equal playing field. God's love applies to anybody, regardless of race, regardless of size, regardless of gender, regardless of the style of hair that you have, the clothes that you wear, where you live. God's love, God's blessings, God's everything, inheritance, rewards, can be applied to anybody across the board. There is no favoritism. And of course, he gives all this information about slaves, and then he goes to chapter four, verse one, it says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. So I say, why would you give so much instruction, Paul, to those who are slaves? And why would you only give one tiny little verse to those who are masters? Well, how many think there are more masters than slaves, at least in this time? Good. None of you put your hand up. We don't have to go there this morning. Uh, most of the people that would be susceptible to the gospel are typically those who are hurting, those who are poor, those who have a need. Because if you're doing well and things are going well with you, you would kind of forget about God sometimes. Unless you continually, strategically remind yourself that everything is for God's glory. Unless you continue to put on those lens, then you know that God is good no matter what and that you serve him above all. And so we look at all these instructions that Paul gives to slaves. Now, let me just be, be clear this morning, Paul is not endorsing slavery. In fact, every time that you see uh, verses in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, talk about slavery, every time that the gospel penetrated those areas, and those situations, and those families, slavery would actually kind of just disappear. It would uh, just kind of Erase itself, especially as the slaves and the masters began serving God, because they recognized the key that Jesus is Lord over all of creation. They recognized that even though maybe I'm in charge, I'm the boss, and maybe I am their, their earthly master, any time the gospel began to do a work in their lives, slavery essentially would disappear. But let's be clear this morning, Paul is not endorsing the act of slavery. He's just recognizing the situation that they're in. And you can find out in in Acts, or sorry, Acts in, in Corinthians. Uh, Paul makes a statement about not wanting to, to overthrow governments and change these things, kind of very similar to what, what Jesus is. The result of that, then that's, that's great. But that's not my goal today. My goal isn't to overthrow the governments. My goal is to get your eyes on Jesus. My goal is to get your hearts turned towards him this morning. So I recognize that you're in a difficult situation, both as a slave or as a master. And I recognize today that uh, that can be difficult and challenging. But here's the truth of the gospel. Let Jesus do what Jesus will do in your situation And just trust it with him and see what happens, okay? And we know that Paul, he was really a slave to his religion. You can say that to a point. He was a slave to his uh, religious leaders. And he would do whatever he could to fight for his religion. And it turns out he was on the wrong side. God got a hold of him on a donkey or on a horse on the way to Damascus. And an incredible story of transformation that changed his life. As his eyes were literally blinded to see the things around him. And all he could see was nothing until God opened his eyes. And then all he saw was the truth of the gospel in front of him. That's what happens when Jesus enters in these types of situations. Things change for the better. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody that's on the, standing on the outside will, will praise you for it. They might even criticize or throw stones at you. Literally, back in this day, they would. But things change for the better when our eyes are put on him. So this is the instructions he gives to the slaves. He says, look... God is the master, so serve your earthly master faithfully as if you're working for the Lord. Because God sees you, God knows your situation, he knows everything around you. He says, go and get it done as if you were working for me. Now, I'm going to do my best to avoid telling you how to do your job this morning. How many like to tell other people how to do their jobs? I hear a few chuckles, you know what it's like. Okay, how many like being told how to do your job? Nobody. I'm shocked. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Unless it's your job to tell people how to do their job, I suggest we're going to avoid some of these, these things this morning, all right? I, they may come out, but we're just going just to avoid some of those things. So a new manager enters the, his new business, and I, I saw this a few years ago, and I didn't see it. I read about it. And so this new guy starts his job, and, and the, the secretary hands him three sealed envelopes, and he says, what, what are these? And she says, I don't know. They're just from the previous manager. And uh, so the first one says, there's sort of a title on it. He says, when you sort of get into a bind or you get hung up, open this first envelope and then if you get into the next one, open the next envelope, and so on and so forth. And so they're working away. He's, you know, going through the transition of things, learning how to to manage this group of people in his office, and, and he gets to a problem and he doesn't know how to solve it, and so he opens the first envelope, and it says, here's what you do. Blame the former manager, throw him under the bus, and just say, we need to restructure, and then go and do that. So he does that, and, you know, throws the guy under the bus, and gets to the the second challenge in his career as he's moving through this transition, and he's like, I'm really stuck, I really don't know what to do. So he opens up the second envelope. And the second envelope basically says, admit that you're wrong, say you're sorry, say that you're incompetent, and you're doing everything you can to change it and get better at it. So he does that, humbly, sort of, but really not. And he goes things and and realizes that he doesn't have the skills really to fix his problems, even though he's humble about it. He doesn't have the resources. He really doesn't change at all. He just tries to do things the way the other guy did it, really, and the way that he knows how. But he's still in third challenge, he says, I'm really stuck. I really don't know what to do. Opens up the third envelope, and there's one little piece of paper inside. All it says is, prepare three envelopes. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't work for him. I'm not going to ask that question. You know, there's uh, maybe not slavery the way that we know it now in our, our culture in, in North America, uh, but there are certainly things that people are slaves to. Um, and we're really not even going there this morning. But uh, I did just want to make mention of it because there are people that are just plain old stuck uh, in situations similar to slavery that they just can't get out of. And one of the darkest, I think, deepest secrets that North America has in regards to slavery is our sex trade. It's unbelievable the amount of people. I I can remember my first year of Bible college. They're brilliant. They take every first-year student down to downtown Toronto, and uh, so when you go there, like, I mean, I grew up in the north, so going to Toronto was like a really cool tourist thing to do, right? You, you get on the plane, or you jump in the car, and you drive down, and you, know, you see all the big buildings, the lights, and it's magnificent, but as you begin to walk the streets and you get a tour guide, you see things in a different light that you never saw before. And they began to tell a story after story of how people would come to the city for a better life, they'd have no money, and then get caught up in either drunk, drugs or gangs or prostitution, all of these things, and there's so much of this that happens. It really is a form of slavery in our culture that we don't tend to talk about nearly enough. And uh, I'm so thankful, I don't have the list in front of me, but there are a number of people and organizations, even within our fellowship, that are working to reach those who are in these tough situations. And so it's something to be mindful of. It doesn't, I only share it because it's important for us to know about it. Uh, I'm not going to go there tons this morning because it doesn't necessarily relate to how we serve the Lord in regards to being a good worker for the Lord. But it is in the sense that as the church, we need to be aware of these modern forms of slavery in our culture. Because there are broken, desperate people and the answer is not in money for sex. The answer isn't in drugs. The answer isn't in in extortion or any of these things. It isn't in violence. The answer is in Jesus. I know that's a really simple way to put it, but that's the truth, is that they need to discover the hope of Jesus. You know, people leave tough situations at home hoping for a better life, and, and maybe it's a little bit better for a while, but it's stuck in the same routine, the same pattern. And we know, as if I just shared already, any time that the gospel would come into these situations of slavery, that typically slavery would sort of just disappear. It would fizzle out. And people would still work, the things would still get done, but they'd be working for the Lord. And so I believe the same thing could happen. As the gospel of Jesus is shared to some of these marginalized, some of these, these, these victims in these situations, I believe that those industries as well will see a shift and a change in their business. And to the point, I believe, of even extinction as the gospel is spread through even these communities. I'm just way off my notes now, but that's okay. We're just going to... Things that we do, I mean, I, I, love, I love the way Pixar tells stories. This I have, So there's... I okay, So I'm allowed to do it today, okay? Is that okay with you? Too bad. I'm going to do it anyway. So there's... I can't even remember. I think it's the movie... I have no idea. It's, they do always do a little short film before... I should have showed it, but there's copyright issues. <laughs> I should have showed it, but it's really, it's really quite interesting. It's, it's just this little cartoon, no talking just some music, and it's this guy that goes to his office every day. And as he walks to his office, he sees a a sunglasses hut and tries on sunglasses. And the heart inside of him is like, yeah, they look good on you. He's looking in the mirror and he's like, looking at his watch. Oh, got to go to work. Puts them back. Passes a restaurant and a pancake place. And and everything that he sees, he wants to try. His heart's going, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And he keeps going to work. And all he does is shows him in work in a room full of, you know, 100 other people. And he's got a stack of papers and a computer in front of him. And he looks at the computers and he hits some keys. Flips the paper over and keeps doing that all day. Lunch break comes and, and he opens up his lunch bag and you know, his, his heart's saying, Hey, remember all the yummy food that you ate? And long story short, it's a really good message about how work shouldn't be your life. And he, he realizes as he's sitting there, every, everything that he does, he figures, Okay, if I'm going to miss a day of work, then I'm going to get fired, I'm going to be poor, and I'm going to die. And so then he finally gets to the realization if I keep pushing papers and putting keys in the computer, eventually I'm going to die. (laughs) And so he comes to the point, he says, without using words, of course, he says, none of that really matters. He says, yes, I have to be committed, I have to be faithful, but I also have a life that I can live. And there's freedom in knowing that we serve God and not even our masters in front of us. Now being faithful to God requires being faithful to our employers as well. Again, this isn't an information on how to do your job, so we're going to avoid that as well. All that to say, coming back to the theme of the book, Paul is saying, regardless of your situation, whether you have a great job, or you have a bad job, work as if you're serving the Lord. Because your employers, your bosses ahead of you, will gratefully recognize your commitment to their Cause or to their organizations. Now, some people will take advantage of that. We, we 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 could go in all the stories. You know, I'm the only one that works at work. You know, I'm you know I'm I'm one of the union guys, and you know, none of them work, but I'm always the one working because I'm the kind. You know, you could get all those stories. You go to the coffee shop, you'll hear them kind of thing. It's just the way it is. This isn't the coffee shop, so we're not going to talk about them. At the end of the day, who's the master of the world? God is. It's his creation. He is Lord over it all. And if you're alive in him, if he's truly living within you, regardless of what you do day in and day out, serve as if it was unto the Lord, even if it's fair or not, because at the end of the day, at the end of your life, at the end end of eternity, which is just the beginning, God will look at everybody and say, "You look, your inheritance, your reward is in heaven. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of the work that you've done, but he will see the faithfulness of your life because Jesus is within you. And so when you don't have the strength to get off the pillow in the morning to go do what you need to get do for somebody else, even if you're not going to be recognized, even if it's not a good situation, and even if it is, when you work as unto the Lord, it's a good thing. Now, sometimes I will say this, uh, don't burn yourself out. All right, you have to know boundaries as well. And we'll talk about, we could, we could do a whole service on being alive in rest. And actually, we did that, in case you forgot. We did that. We talked about, talked about uh, having a Sabbath day, having times of rest, because even Jesus rested every time he could. And we also talked about the fact that God, when he created the world, he took a day and he rested. As if God needs to rest. I mean, he's all powerful. He's almighty. He's all knowing. He needs to rest. You know, he He has this as an example. He's saying, look, you're in my image. Believe it or not, you need to have times of rest. And when you get burned out and you get tired and you continue to push, 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 not only do you burn yourself out, overdo it, and end up in a hospital or some situation like that, it's also the opportunity for you to slip and fall and get tempted by the enemy. So when, if, you, if you go through the life of Jesus, when was he tempted by Satan? When was he, yeah, when he finished his 40 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted for 40 days before or not eating food for 40 days before. Um, that bread at the end or throughout at the end of 40 days starts to look pretty, pretty good. So last week I told you about the cake my wife made, how amazing it was like a few months ago. And then I also shared with you how last Saturday night she said, so you're going to start working out with me tomorrow, and I shared that. Now, I'm going to share this with you this morning. Here's some things you've got to know about your pastor. One, I like food. I like good food, and I hate exercise. I hate sweating. Like, I hate when it's hot out and you stand there and you sweat. I hate that. So when I have to, like, move and work about, I hate it so much. Guess what I did every day this week, minus one day? I worked out with my wife. I only tell you that as an account. You're, you're my accountability now because I told you that I was going to do this. So um, this, isn't, this isn't about bragging about me, just so you know. And so if you want to do this, you just come to our house about 8, eight o'clock at night, and it's awful. <laughs> Okay, I gotta pause. We don't have time for this, but I gotta tell you this. So we have this video that we work out to, all right? And this is a hard work. This is hard work. This is why it relates. Okay, the people in the video. I mean, if I could look like them. Yeah, I could do that, no problem. If I looked like that, and then so then they're saying how old this one guy is, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And they're talking about how I'm just gonna say they're talking about how fat he was. And I'm like, I want to see the fat guy doing it. Because that's who. There are things that we don't like to do, okay? But there are things that are right. And so I don't do it for my wife, even though I tell her that, to encourage her. Because it makes her feel good. Because it makes me a good husband. (laughs) I'm doing it because God has called me to be healthy spiritually and physically, okay? And... I may be not unhealthy, but if I don't make a change now, if I don't begin to live my life physically the way that I declare I live it spiritually, then who am I? I'm I'm living sort of this half, half in, half out sort of attitude. And so I'm you can tell I'm by no means perfect by any means at this. And so every time I'm working out, sweating, hating every moment of it, by the way, I just know that the end goal is that I know at the end of the day I'm doing this not just for myself. I'm doing this for the Lord because it's the life that he wants me to live. So having a moment of rest in your work week is just as important as exercising, especially in our culture, right? Like we have so many jobs where you know we're not physically working the way that people used to, especially in North America. I mean, people that work with their hands, they still go to the gym. I have no idea why they would, but they do. They go to the gym even though they work all day. It's important. We work for the Lord. All right. All this talk about being a slave and saying, you know what, no matter what, remember that Jesus is your master. Now, if you're a slave or an employee, work as unto the Lord. Now, here's the trick. If you're a manager, you're a boss, you're a leader, um, you also need to work as unto the Lord. And I believe today it's your responsibility as the master to make sure it's like a bigger responsibility, in case you didn't know that when you're in charge of people, is that you have the responsibility to lead well. Not because your subordinates are watching even though they are, but because you too are working as unto the Lord. You know, the way you treat people, the way you handle situations, how you uh, lead and how you get to your goals uh, will reveal your character, right? It will reveal what kind of person you are. How many love working for a good boss? I absolutely do. I worked for some really intense people, especially through high school, but they were always really good. They were very fair. And they always looked at as Jesus as their master. Now, I didn't always work for a Christian employer. I worked for another organization, another company, I should say. And um, it was awful. I'll just flat out say it was awful. But again, you come back to the attitude. You'd work as unto the Lord, even if you don't feel like it. Like, I can remember. I thought the way they ran the organization was ridiculous. And I thought I knew better because, you know what, 16 you do. You know everything although I was right, I will say that. And I remember I was assembling wheelbarrows, and they had parts for the th- four different models of wheelbarrows scattered throughout the yard of the business, and it was ridiculous. And I said to, the, to my boss, and he says, well, blah, 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 you get it done. And I said, okay. And he says, you got to get it in this amount of time. And I said, okay, well, if you can do it in that amount of time, then I'll, I'll show you that I can do it. And he couldn't do it, and it was a long day short. And then he was all embarrassed, blah, 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 blah. That's not what it's about. If you're a master, you need to be in charge. If you're if you're a leader in your organization, or even if you're not, people are looking up to you. We work as unto the Lord. Because how we get the job done determines your character. And it's not about everything that you do for the Lord. It's not about getting things done. It's about how you do it. Because we also know that we need to be given a lot of grace to show. Because no matter what happens, there's going to be things that are going to come up, mistakes are going to get made, and how you respond in those situations will determine how well you are serving and pleasing God. I have something in here about I don't know how that got in there I have the quote in here if you give a mouse a cookie if you've ever read that book and you want a glass of milk uh, there's also something to be said about being fair as a leader you know I, I like to you know push the, the limits a little bit right well how how far can I get away with something and so sometimes as a leader you got to be you got to be tough you got to be hard, but you got to be fair because if, gives, if you, know, you give a little bit of leeway, they're going to want a glass of milk. And that's not what God is calling us to do either. He's not saying, hey, don't walk on eggshells. Don't just let things go. You've got to be firm. You've got to be tough sometimes. You've got to speak the truth. You just have to do it out of love and with a lot of grace. Because that's exactly what Jesus... You can even see Jesus do with his disciples, right? He's, you see him question things, and you just imagine the human side would go... Like, you idiot. Like, I just want to punch you in the face. But he responds in love and in sternness and in fairness. And he's saying, no, you're wrong, and this is why, and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you see even the anger of Jesus come out in the temple, right? There's all the money changers. And you see him. He, not that he, he doesn't lose control, but he's showing the, the power of his anger. And he's saying, get out of here. This is the house of the Lord. He has to be firm in that moment to say, hey, what you're doing is not right. This is not the way things go. And so working unto the Lord doesn't mean walking on eggshells with the people around you. As a parent, if I always let things go, my kids would never learn the difference between right and wrong and what's good and not good. And here's another thing about parenting for all you parents out there that I've, I've been learning. You don't always have to tell your kids why, all right? As, as the leader of your household, you don't have to tell them why. Sometimes saying because I said so. How many have heard that one before? How many have used that one before? That's all, that's enough. And you know what that does? That creates a bond of trust between the parent and the child. You say, okay, because you know, in a situation where, you know, they need you, and you say, it's okay, I'm with you, I have you, they'll trust you. Just like when they're doing something wrong or they shouldn't do and you say, no, because I said so, I need you to do this because I... said so it builds, whether they like that or not, it's not about them liking you. It's about being honest and being firm and serving the Lord, they begin to respond with, with trust and with love and respect. It's the way that God deals with us sometimes. We ask God all the time, why, oh, why, oh, why, why? And he's saying, trust, trust, trust. Even Jesus in the garden, and this is where we're going this morning, he says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any, if I don't have to go through this, if there's any other way, Father, then let it be so. If not, I trust you. I trust that you're with me. Now, he knew knew what he was doing. He willingly gave himself up for him, but he trusted his father was with him. And that's our final thing. We had the responsibility of the slave, responsibility of the master, and finally we get to the responsibility of Jesus. You know, he willingly went to the father. He willingly went and said, send me, I'll go. I will be the perfect lamb that will be slain for your people. I will give myself up for you. And and even in this moment in the garden, he says, look, I don't want to do this. Like you read, he was, he was sweating blood of everything. He was so worked up. He was just at the end of his, his body couldn't handle any more pressure in that moment. And he, even in that moment where he could have said no, he took the step forward and became the lamb that was slain for us. Even though he didn't deserve it, even though... It was our punishment, not his. Even though he did nothing wrong, even though he was perfect, it was his responsibility because he was willing to serve his father's and be about his father's business of redemption. He willingly went to the cross. And I just say that to say this this morning. As we have communion before us, if Jesus can go to the cross for me, I can easily serve the Father in all that I do, regardless of my situation, because I will never have to go through what Jesus went through. That price has already been paid. Even if I do get put to death, I will never have to go through what he went through, the weight of the world, the weight of everyone's sin on his shoulders as he hung on that cross. I'll never have to do that because Jesus paid that price for me already. So no matter what we walk through, no matter what position we find ourselves in throughout our life, we do it as unto the Lord and we do it with him because he's with us every step of the way. Because if he's not with us, how will he know what to reward us with? So it says our inheritance is in heaven. How does he know what the reward is if he isn't already watching and if he isn't already with you, if he doesn't already see you? Now know your boundaries, know your limits. Be willing to stand up for what is right on both sides of the spectrum because God wants you to honor him first. And Sometimes honoring him means standing up for what you believe in. But the responsibility of Jesus to work as unto the Lord is the standard. And no matter what we go through, we'll never compare to that sacrifice that he made. And so we're going to come and we're going to take communion out of remembrance of this sacrifice this morning. And, and it's pretty, pretty straightforward. We have a cup of juice and, a, and, and some crackers here this morning. I'm going to invite you to come and, and let's just stand at the front here this morning as we get the emblems. And we're going to partake together because we're a family. We're his family. We're God's family this morning, and we're going to come, and we're going to remember this sacrifice, this hard work, this work that he went through, the persecution that he went through. So come this morning, and go ahead and grab, grab one of the crackers, grab the, grab the juice this morning, and just hold on to it, and we'll partake in that together. So feel free to come on forward this morning. And if, you, if you're not ready to make the decision to take communion, to say, hey, you know, I'm not sure about this, that's okay. You're welcome just to come and stand with us this morning. You're welcome to do that but we invite you just to come.